if you feel like you're becoming more confident and competent in your ability uh, to make decisions in life and deal with the consequences of those decisions, then you've probably got a good therapist. Greetings and love, beautiful humans. How's your 2024 going? Aliens in Miami? Secret tunnels in New York City? Fauci admits six-foot distancing, not grounded in science, but we thought you were the science. The new year is off to some start. It's enough to make you scream or cry or maybe just find someone to talk to about it all. Which brings us to this week's episode. Brother Mike and I invited Anthony Samaroff back onto the show to talk about his area of expertise, therapy. Therapy has always carried a stigma for me. I attended one group session as a young teen after my older brother died and I couldn't get out of the room fast enough. But the truth is, I probably should have stuck around. Chatting with Anthony opened my mind to the myriad benefits of having a therapist, an unbiased, neutral party who listens without judgment or prejudice. He took us through a few of the forms of therapy that are out there, their pros and cons, why he approaches therapy the way he does, and how you can apply some of the techniques of a therapist to your own personal life and relationships. We've really grown to love and appreciate Anthony's voice in this terrain space, and we were delighted to have him back on. Hope you enjoy. Welcome back to Terrain Theory. Okay, we are live. Anthony Samaroff, welcome back to the Terrain Theory podcast. Thank you so much for welcoming me back. It's a great honor to be on once, so it must be, I guess, uh, duplicated or maybe it's a uh, function like it, it it multiplies it's several times as much of an honor uh spiraling into multi-dimensional fractals <laughs> all of that and it, maybe we call it a christmas miracle oh okay great even better it's a little bit yeah it must be around then by the time this uh, comes out okay great to be back with you guys thank you for having me in the show hello audience uh i hope you, if you don't know me, I'm Anthony, but you, you will soon. Yeah, Anthony, you're in Florida now. Oh, yeah, I just arrived here yesterday. Uh, I've been in Scotland for the winter months uh, for the first time in since 2018, I think. Um, but yeah, it was getting really cold. So I, I've got some stuff coming up, a couple of op- appointments coming up in this side. So I'm, I'm going to be in America for just under a week, and then I'm going back to Mexico. You're in a good part of America this time of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's an it's nice. It's it's really it was really nice lying out in the sun. I I haven't seen much of that in a while, and it's not so hot that um, my fair Scottish skin is melting off my face. <laughs> it looks good to us, Anthony. One of the reasons that we wanted to bring you back on is to talk specifically about really your profession, your career, your expertise in therapy. And I guess the question, the question that I wanted to kick off with is who are the kinds of people who would benefit most from therapy? Like, is this a, an instance where everyone should have a therapist? How, how should a right. person look in the mirror and go, yeah, I should probably go to therapy? Well, okay, that's a pretty big question. And, you you know, we do have those kind of glib memes in society. Everyone should go to therapy. And, um, oh, if you don't, if you don't want it, then you probably, then you probably need it. 
um, and that can sometimes be true. But I guess a, a good way to approach the question is maybe how can you benefit from therapy? How can a person benefit from therapy? And I guess if you think about it that way, you might know if you're the kind of person who might benefit from that. Do you know what I mean? I think I get what you're I, I get what you're saying, but for someone like myself who's never been to oh, therapy, never I've never been to a therapist. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it might be hard for me to go, well, I don't know what that end goal is because I've never I've never experienced it. Yeah, that's quite interesting. And and we do we are the way our mind works, we prefer to know what outcomes are and um the kind of coaching which but which I do quite a bit of as well, but um to be fair, but the, the online sort of coaching sphere really got into this like let's make it drill it down and see what your outcomes are and are you gonna uh, you know, how do you measure your progress and are you gonna make massive take massive action? And I think for a lot of people that's quite intimidating as well. But the thing that is difficult is to measure something so ephemeral as uh, the psyche like because our psyche we go through natural cycles of feeling better feeling less good sometimes it's good when you feel less good because you feel like you're really getting you're really diving down and pulling stuff out you know and you're going to use that stuff like manure um to fertilize your soul sorry for the woo-woo rainbow unicorn picture of it but um so it's difficult for people to grasp, you know, what exactly am I going to get out of this? So um, I, I, th- I think there's a lot of different layers from this. One thing is to organize that on the most fundamental level, the most basic benefit you c- might get is to organize the content of your mind better, right? So, you know, you've got all of these things flying around and life is not linear and the way that we keep information in our mind is sort of in this patchy cobweb of interrelated patterns. So when you get to speak to someone, you you can take that big complex spider web and you put it into some semblance of a reasonable order where you feel like you understand it on a more profound level which makes it easier for you to act on the wisdom you've already gained or that you're trying to draw from the challenges of your life or even the good stuff that's happening your everyday experience you want to assimilate that experience so that it's under you so that it's integrated into you and you know you can walk the walk so to speak so that's really the the most I would say cosmetic benefit, and to some degree you can get that from uh, taking a nice walk. You know, uh, Nietzsche said all great ideas are conceived of by walking and thinking it through, or journaling, which I think forces us to put it in a, into a linear fashion. Um, probably if you went across the road and spoke to a lamppost every day for ten fifteen minutes, that would also help you organize the content of your mind but it's good to have a human there it's good to have a human that knows how to listen without having a particular agenda that they're going to act on you yeah but or brings in their own experience makes it about them there's there's a there's about a hundred different um ways that family and loved ones who care for you 
might uh, intervene when you start to have this. Um, well, a lot of the time people speak to vent because they're trying to figure out what they mean while they speak. And the closer someone is to you, the less apt they sometimes are to fulfill that function because if they're close to you, they want what they think is best for you. And you're part of a system. You're constantly exchanging energy and information part um, backwards and forth. So they include you as part of themselves. And because they include you as part of themselves, it's sometimes, not always, hard to get the same quality of support from them, especially if it's anything about them. So here's another role I play. Because people are in these complex systems and they're sometimes having arguments and disagreements or how much should I say? What do I have the right to demand? Uh, what's my boundaries? What's their boundaries? It's really good to have someone that acts as a valve to that system and takes some of the emotion out of the system. Um, not you, you can't give it. Uh, you can't do it with your spouse sometimes because you're just passing around the energy. You're giving it to her. She's got nowhere to go. It goes into the kids, then it goes back into you, and um, the the sort of temperature on the stove, so to speak, never comes down. So another element of it is emotional catharsis. If we go one deeper than that, um, a really important discipline, and this was really introduced in the 60s by the, and, and earlier than that, 50s, by the humanistic psychologists, is the idea of listening to the with the intent, to, especially Carl Rogers, who I'm a huge fan of, but more on that later. Listening with the intention to really understand the other person, not just analyze and come to a conclusion. Everyone wants to analyze you and tell you what's wrong with you and uh, what you should do. But that, um, what I have noticed is beyond the emotional catharsis, there's something that people get, firstly, from really being understood by someone else and secondly having that well first of all just someone listening with the intent to understand even if they don't get it secondly if they can demonstrate that understanding that these are skills that have become second nature to me and i practice them in all my relationships when i'm getting to know strangers when they speak to me um, I often paraphrase what they've just said. I put it in my own words. I'll do it with my loved ones when they're distressed or something like that. That's what got me into therapy, actually. I Not got me into therapy as, in, as a client, although I've done plenty of that. Got me, in, got me into the idea of studying it. I started reading books on communication because I wanted to improve my relationship with my own family. It didn't really help that much with that at the time. But it did help me improve all my other relationships. I realized when I listened to people with the intention to understand them and then was able to pick something, convey something of what they were trying to convey to me back to them skillfully. Oh, suddenly, such relief. Um, it was just so... It, it, it was instant for me to see the impact on the curative, the healing impact. And I came to realize that even if I had no skills or knowledge at all, I could still be of value. I could still be useful. I could still help people just by demonstrating my understanding of them. And so I was coming with that, armed with that, when, it, when I came 
to the end of my undergrad, it seemed obvious that um, with with an interest in these skills, that a suitable thing for me to, would be to go and study counselling. So what I found was after they received that um, sort of catharsis, also it helped them put together put it together in their own head better. Hearing it said back, and sometimes they correct you. Sometimes a, a, a technique I really like, and you guys can practice it at home. It's not just for counsellors. Is when someone tells you something, say, "Well, it sounds like you feel X because Y," and that's like a formula that you can apply to paraphrasing what the other person said or going for the meaning underneath what they said, trying to convey that back to them. Now, sometimes you might not get it right. They'll say, "Well, it's not that I feel guilty. I'm actually annoyed about it because." But even if you get it wrong, it's like a point in a radar by floating it out there. You help them figure out by negation actually where they were. And you'll see that that people really love you for this. They're much more apt to take on what you have to say in response and feedback and advice if they feel fully understood by you. But I found that many times you can do this two, three, four, five times in, you know, because what will happen is once a person feels understood for one thing, and that clarity comes, it helps them dig deeper. So it's kind of like a, a cake, you know, one of those layered cakes with the, the sponge and then the icing and then the sponge and then the icing. And it's like, you know, emotion, the content of the mind. And then there, there's another emotion under there and you're pulling it out like uh, that wizard, um, the, the magician's trick where the little boy pulls a handkerchief from his um, sleeve and he keeps on pulling and pulling and pulling because it's not just one handkerchief so that was really like satisfying to me as well to see that you could hold space for people and help them gain a deeper understanding of themselves and feel the energy that it generated the enthusiasm that it generated the feeling um of like yeah 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 i'm getting at it now i'm beginning to understand myself so that's another thing that a lot of people can benefit from i'll let you guys come back because i could probably keep on talking just as long again on the kind of on the kind of things that people might experience. Uh, Mike, I'm going to let you interject, but first I just want to say that uh, when when folks talk about peeling back the layers on someone, usually they refer to that person as an onion or the thing as an onion. I just want to say I appreciate that you uh, went with a sponge cake because that's far oh, more palatable. Right. Yeah, <laughs> Michael, far more go ahead. palatable. <laughs> a trifle, as it's called oh, in my yeah. family. Um, uh, Anthony, do you feel that this is just part of the human condition. I mean, obviously, people want to be heard. They want to be understood. Mm. They want to be known for for their true self, um, or they want to try and access that or communicate that. But is it more a product of modern times that we're so pent up and not heard and insecure about who we are, especially to ourselves and to others? Do you think it's always been this way, or are we just at a part, a phase in whatever civilization is or has been where it's particularly difficult to find that clarity I without the help both, of someone else. I think both are true. I think, you know, there's an, a sense in which there's always been the confessional or someone in the, someone to, uh, in the tribe to speak to um, the, the need for confidentiality because the thing is, if you 
express yourself in an uncontrolled way towards people that are involved, uh, they, you don't have the clarity and self-integration to communicate skillfully. And, you, you know, there's this idea of like, I don't want to call it radical honesty because I'm not really sure the people that are into that, that's what they do. But this, uh, oh, just be like fearlessly authentic and say and feel and do it. No, what you're doing with that to continue the cake metaphor is you're giving someone uh, some flour, some eggs and a and a whisk and saying, here's all my unemo- unprocessed emotions. Like, would you do something with this for me? Now, it's much better to have a clearer idea of yourself, which is why we seek external counsel, not to gossip about people, but to help us gain counsel for how to resolve the conflict and put the relationship on a better footing. That being said, we are completely overstimulated now compared to the past. You know, even if you, you know, if you're a farmer or something like that, you have a lot, you you used to, (laughs) some of you are farmers, you know, you get a lot of time out there in the fields, um, like we've got nothing to do but think, you know, and chew over your stuff. Um, I don't know. We, we don't really know what the human condition is. The, the human condition seems to be adaptation to environment. You know, you go through a lot of stuff in your show about electroculture and lost knowledge. What, what, what was human nature back then? What was human nature back in Atlantis have existed? Um, where are we just hairy? What was it like when we were hairy barbarians? Are we in an evolution? You know, the liberals during the Enlightenment definitely thought it was progress, progress, progress. And a lot of us were, were thought that it might be progress, progress, progress up until we got disillusioned. Maybe it was with the response to 9-11. Maybe it was with Obama and the anti-war movement disappearing. Maybe it was Trump. Maybe it was the corona, the response to the coronavirus. And you went, oh, I thought things were getting better, but I don't know how things are going to get better under the conditions where you know, people are not uh, open to new information. I thought by now the information in the computer, uh, on the internet, would lead to a lot more progressive schools because, and and healthcare reform and things like that. What I would know is one indication that this is, these skills are universal and important to humans left and right is, you know, when I was a classroom assistant, I used them in school. I, I used them with kids. And uh, I saw that the kids lit up when they were listened to like this. There's people online talking about peaceful parenting and um, communication with kids. And it's a really big thing to use this sort of skill. Instead of having an agenda with your kids, do this. Do, there's a great book called How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. And that was a huge influence on me uh, and, and brought, partly brought me into my therapy practice. These are skills that we need from a young age. And and Carl Rogers said, these aren't just skills for therapists. We should bring them into the workplace so that bosses have these skills. We should bring them into the every all our institutions so that people can hold spa- the space for each other. So the need is the same, but maybe the society is a corrupting factor in that People do not have these skills. They are not modelled it. You know, people. A lot. It, it used to be maybe in a tribal society. If you grew old, you grew wise because you had to to survive in those kinds of conditions. Now it's possible to grow 
old without growing wise. And and for me, and a lot of people might relate to this, when I was growing up, I didn't have a lot of wise, or at least I didn't have a lot of useful adults around. Not a lot of people taught me things. Not a lot of people were patient and asked, well, what's your idea? What's your opinion? I remember when I went to Aikido, um, I was a teenager, and I, I first started to grow a, go, a goatee, a, go, a goatee beard for the first time. And uh, my one of my teachers noticed that, and, and, and I said, well, I don't know if it suits me or not yet. I'm just trying it. And he said, it doesn't matter if anyone else likes it. It only matters if you like it. And my jaw almost hit the floor, which is an eye, which is a, which is an indication that I so rarely heard a adult say what you want matters, what you think matters more than what other people think, that that was a surprise to me. And I noticed that when I was a piano tutor as well, like a couple of times, if I got impatient with a student and then I apologized to them later, they were like, oh, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. But I saw the surprise in their eyes that an adult would actually apologize and say, it's not your fault if I get impatient. That's on me. You know, it's my job to be patient. So if I get impatient, it's not a reflection on you. It's a reflection on me. That was surprising to them. So, yes, I would like to think, you know, we could get to a more enlightened place. I think the need for this quality of attention, quality of communion, um, is universal, but we could definitely create a society where it's more acknowledged that this is this is helpful, uh, and 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 I could and and on the basis of that, I can c- come to more reasons why therapy might be helpful. But uh, you guys come in first. I think. Well, thank you for that. But I'll think the idea of doing anything with a certain amount of attention mm-hmm. has is disappearing from the hyper fast internet age culture that we reside in just in this conversation so far you mentioned like just talking to the lamppost or the farmer in his field what i'm noticing because i have kids and they're in school is that there's we're very concerned with like filling up every last minute with with productivity but there's no value placed on any sort of like self-contemplation like you mentioned Anthony speaking to the lamppost or the farmer in his field where there's just time built into the day to mm. be with yourself, to be with your thoughts, to consider mm. all of it or, or none of it or whatever. But there's time that's not necessarily wasted time. And like the, the every day that passes, I thought, why don't we teach kids meditation in school? Like ten, mm. just the, the practice of sitting alone or in a group quietly mm. for 10 minutes with your eyes closed without the snickering, without the feeling having it be awkward i feel like that would really go a long way to making us just more comfortable with ourselves mm-hmm. and by extension more comfortable with other people but it's become impossibly clear that in this mm-hmm. age of like heightened uh where division is just at a fever pitch like we don't even know what ourselves think i'm speaking in broad strokes yeah. of course but how can you possibly relate to somebody when you haven't really taken the time to like really collect your thoughts and and be okay with with the clutter up there. Yeah, and we're so used to being stimulated that we don't want to be calm. Like you know, when people start to calm down, they reach for another coffee. Um, and yeah. you know, I, I like a coffee as much as everyone else. Like I hear that you guys came off, but I definitely something that I definitely. Well, I mean, I 
I've never been a huge coffee drinker, but do you know what? When I when I when I was less meditative, I hardly ever drank it. And when I became, hmm. it's quite interesting that once I worked through my stuff, I became like a one or one or two cup drinker. It's almost like the the mind's reaching for homeostasis, like what it's used to. Um, and it, it's 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 interesting with the kids. Like if you tried to meditate them, they'd get up and they'd want to run around and scream, and you know they want they they don't get enough of that either. Running around screaming, right. like I feel like. To, to meditate they're not active enough and they're on stimulating drugs a lot of them and if not there's the sugar and there's the e-numbers so it's like we're so used to being stimulated that when we calm down we feel there's something wrong and we re-stimulate ourselves it's interesting you mentioned this because when i came into the airport yesterday i text my buddy and it's like i'm sorry i've got a i've got a clear customs it's taking ages blah blah and he's like that's cool man i'm in the parking lot and um he was like, oh, it's kind of good because it's like, you know, when you get sick and you just, uh, you're like watching some stuff on TV, you just chill and you're like, that part of you, which is I should really be doing something right now, is appeased because what you're meant to be doing is you're meant to be chilling and catching up on that show or podcast or whatever. Um, you're not meant to be active. That's interesting, isn't it? Oh, oh it's good getting ill because I get a break. And and similarly, I kind of felt like that on the plane. It was like, okay, well, I guess I can watch a movie. There's, there's, I've got a limited number of things I can do because I don't have Wi-Fi access. So um, that gives me some downtime. Um, yeah, as you say, it should be built into the built into the day. But I, I've got this again. Like it's like speed versus haste. I I, I noticed that if I sit down. And I go through my to-do lists and I organize my stuff. I'm much more product, like much more productive than if we get gung ho. So I've got this idea that you want balance first, and then you can bring clarity to your mind, um, or or th- or, or or, and then you can start to take action. Like again with the therapy, the the becoming self-integrated. That, that focused attention, yes, you should, it's very, very good to learn to give yourself that attention with some kind of meditative practice. And it definitely can help you um, unpeel layers of the mind or, or, or layers of the layer cake as we've been um, to, to sit in silence and just experience what your experience is like. Similarly, um, you're experiencing this uh, being guided into yourself or uh, so that you can experience that balance, feeling balance, so that clarity comes to the mind. And when you act, a lot of people, one of my favorites experiences is when people come into the session like feeling a bit of a mess, but I can see that they leave feeling like they know what they're doing, you know? So so that's a, that's another thing. Uh, like, on the point of quality attention, I think that attention, and this is one of the benefits of meditation, attention is for humans what sunlight is for flowers, you know, sunlight is for plants. They come into fruition 
when they get high quality attention. A lot of the people that come to me for counselling online are people like us who are a little bit more switched on than the average person, and maybe they've always been like that, but they, they because they were switched on, because they had perception, their need for high quality attention was greater. Because who are you going to speak this to? You need a good adult or someone to say, hey, I noticed this, hey, I noticed that. Someone that's not going to go, all right, yeah, that's great, go back to class. But someone's going, oh, that's really interesting. And ask them a question and ask them a question and be curious about them. Not just like fob them off and go, oh, that's nice. So why don't you draw a picture, you know? But so given that attention is a nutrient, it's like I would say a lot of the people that have come to me are very smart. Some of them um, are, and a lot of them are very compassionate, but they've not, they know they could come into fruition. They're, they're deficient in high quality attention. And I see people come into themselves, uh, come into their own, um, more integrated through the process of getting like high, like, like the, the, the the highest quality supplements, you know, for uh, attention, like a, like an intravenous in, injection of high quality attention so they can work through their stuff and, and, and come and, and, and their seeds, like seeds, seeds can last for ages, years, centuries sometimes. But once they find fertile ground, they start to germinate, they start to grow. And as soon as you water those seeds, so to speak, um, yeah, a lot of the time, that's more like developmental. People come more alive, they become more capable. Become more inspired too, mm-hmm. I, would, I would suspect. Yeah, Ben, I want to let you jump in here too. But I, I do appreciate what you said about it's not always your spouse or your family that's the best choice to to necessarily go deep with, for lack of a better term. I shouldn't say that. I mean, there's there's On room for issues, all of it. Absolutely, but... definitely, it's complementary. It's not instead of. This can help people have. I've seen a lot of people have improved a lot of relationships after going to therapy because they learn how to be listened to and they learn how to what that feels like. And so they can seek it more effectively with their loved ones and they can also give it better. Please go on. No, complimentary is a beautiful way to put it. Yeah, go ahead, Ben. No, that's actually a great point is that when you, and I've never thought of it this way, I always think of therapy as a one-way transaction where I'm, I'm dumping my stuff onto a therapist. But in fact, if you go into it, you if you go into it with a really open mind and you're a receptive individual, you can actually take a skill from this. Like watching the therapist listen to me, I can become the better listener and take some of those skills. As you've just taught us, uh, Anthony, in this one conversation, I you say this, so I feel like you, you might feel this. Like that's a skill that one would take from a therapy session and then apply it to relationships in real life, whether that's your friends or your family, you know, a son or a daughter or, or a spouse. And your supplement point is well taken too. I think the the cliche about one needing or going to therapy is I'm fucked up. I I have problems. I need a therapist. That's how sort of how it's presented in the mainstream culture. What, what you're presenting is no. I'm a fucking badass. I'm awesome. I'm high level. I need to level up. I need that sustenance to to do even better work in this world. 
Yeah, and a lot of people do come, like some people come to me because they're in a tight spot. Some people come to me on and off over years um, and they take breaks and then when they feel like they could benefit from it, they they come back online. Um, And some people are like, yeah, no, I think things are pretty good, but I know I could be getting a lot more of life. And that's kind of like developmental. So there's like remedial where there's some problem that we're going to fix. And there's developmental where you've got a foundation, but you want to build on that. But let's face it, it's never that simple. All of life is developmental and remedial. You're developmental in some areas and you're, you need re- remedy in other. It's true. And you need to go out and weed the garden, you know, before you grow flowers. But um, the, the, the whole process of gardening runs together. You know, you're, you're weeding while you're planting and you're, you're planting while you're, you're, you're tending while you're weeding. And um, I imagine I've not done tons of gardening uh, and not as much as I would like to. Um, but it's, it's, I like, I like the, the sentiment that you don't need to think of it just as something for yourself when um, you know for for fucked up people everyone is fucked up to some degree you don't get out of this society unscathed but a, a lot of people definitely come because they feel like they could do more with their talents if they had more clarity and more support and that's the thing like i'm not like for me like giving a uh, advice is not a huge part of it but if I don't if I know something that I think would help someone I don't keep it to myself I've also got a lot of experience in self-healing you know a lot of experience in meditation and different um modes of contemplation journaling different techniques and things like that so sometimes it's about choosing the right the right tool for the job and um you know, and, and being flexible with your approach. So, yeah, and, and and then there's just, like, expanding your thinking. So I was trying to, like, because you need to ask questions. Uh, a lot a lot of it's paraf- paraphrasing and coming back to, um, reflecting someone back to themselves. But then at some point, you know, you, you want to ask people questions that are going to send their mind off in directions they never would have thought of to go, or, or maybe you notice something that they're not noticing. Sometimes you need to challenge them. They said two things that seem to contradict each other. Sometimes someone needs a reality check because they're in a situation where they're being mistreated, but they don't know how to read it. You know, they're like, oh, am I being too emotional? Am I being like this? Like they're giving, they're cutting the other person too much slack and they need a firmer hand, which doesn't, I don't do it too often. That means it has a real impact when I do do it. Um, right. And I say, well, you know, do, do you mind if I challenge you on something you've said? There, or do you want to know what I really think? And, and because <laughs> I've got trust with people, you know, they'll be like, yeah, yeah, of course I do. Well, you know, if you want to know what I really think, I think they're being like this. And, you know, and I, I won't be afraid to do that with people. Point out, contradict, oh, you said this. But he also said this, and these seem to be in contradiction. Would you like to tell me more about that? And it's like, oh, help people. That helps people understand the multiple different directions that they're pulled in, and they ha- may have conflicting or different takes on a situation at the same time. So that helps people get straight with themselves and understand themselves better, so that they can act. It's not like they've got 
one foot on the accelerator and one foot on the brake because they're pulled in, 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 in different directions. So these are some of the things, some of the kinds of things that people can benefit from in therapy. And by extension of that, you can conclude who might benefit from therapy. Yeah, looking at things from a bunch of different angles, you know, asking questions helps to do that. And then another thing is to confront anything that you've been avoiding. You know, there's things like hanging around in your back, back of your head. You're like, uh, I really want, should look at that. But it, but it seems a bit scary. And sometimes people are more likely to do that when they've got someone sitting there. Or if they're not, um, I might notice. Uh, I, may, I remember you mentioned this another time, you know, uh, might, should we maybe check in on that uh, as you're like, come back to that thing? Like that might be, oh yeah, yeah, you know, I can, I can feel when we're talking around the issue. So there's, there's lots of different approaches and there's lots of different things um, different ways that people can benefit from and I feel like it's a it's a beautiful process to watch unfold because I really feel like if you do that one listen with the intention to understand which is to give them lots of space to speak and articulate themselves sometimes something is just outside the edge of their awareness I can see that they're poking around it and the, and the longer I've been doing it for, the the wider my radar goes so i can pull something that's they're they're poking they're trying to get towards and they're poking around i go i think you're trying to say this present it to them and like wow boom i'm like well oh, it's not that i'm just saying what you were saying you know i'm just saying what you were trying to say so that's quite beautiful um to see it unfold once people have that have received that quality of attention and they become receptive for for you as a predict for me as a protect practitioner to do something whether it's challenge them or ask them a question or relay some information that's relevant or um something who knows what that's the beautiful thing about it i never know what i'm going to say until we're done and that connection is made and i try and be very in the moment and then once that we've come to that meeting where you know someone's shoulders come down and you they've stopped talking and they're looking at you, they're receptive. Oh, oh it's my turn. And usually there's a bunch been a bunch of th things that I've thought, but I've gone, right, just put a pin in that, put that over there. And then sometimes if it's still relevant, then pick it up and bring it back. And sometimes that's just something you're thinking. So it's so now that you're in the moment and the connections made, what's going to emerge from that and it's I, I try and be in the moment and, and pick the right tool for the right moment for the job so that's uh, a very interesting thing about it as well anthony in an ideal world everyone who gravitated towards the profession of therapist would be perfectly equipped for that job and that role but we don't live in an ideal world and mm -hmm. and, and so on behalf of a listener who might be thinking oh yeah i'd like to try out therapy what how does one find quote unquote the right therapist for them like what are some of the qualities that you should look for and or when you're in that first session like how do you know yeah. that you found the right therapist yeah I, I once did a podcast for be yourself and love it podcast called five questions to ask your therapist now it's been a couple of years i can't remember what they are 
but <laughs> so uh, I should refresh myself on them. But I think one of the things is, do you feel heard by this person? Do you feel like you're becoming more confident in your own ability to make your own judgments and trust in them? Do they empower you to feel like you've got this? Or do they have a strong agenda with you and are they pushing you in certain directions and trying to substitute their judgment for your judgment? Because that's a really dangerous game. And I don't like it. And I, I think there was a time where that was the prevalent form of therapy. The therapist is the expert and the patient is treated by the therapist. And it went very out of fashion. And that's no small thanks to Carl Rogers. Um, but also when people discovered these tools of holding the space well, like Carl Rogers, like myself, they found that they're usually more effective. It's usually more effective to to hold the space and to help bring out the client's expertise but some people you know they've already gone through difficulties in relationships and they've been vulnerable and they've had issues with authority and they're not that confident and the therapist can make them doubt themselves or do, do you know have are they able to hold space for difficult emotions without giving you a look on the bright side story? Can they just sit and allow you to be in that space and have the confidence that if you really fully process your grief um, with their help, with their supervision, you'll come out of the negativity yourself. You don't need to be prompted to come out of the negativity because everyone does that. Everyone tries to teach you to be positive. To say, oh, don't think, look at it like that, look at it like this. But for someone to say, you know, the cliche, yeah, that sucks, or what, you know, I can, you know, yeah, to to put in their own words why it is difficult for you, they help you take yourself seriously. If you feel like you're becoming more confident and competent in your ability uh, to make decisions in life and deal with the consequences of those decisions, then you've probably got a good therapist. Um, if you're, yeah, I mean, even for myself, a lot of the time clients ask me opinion and I, I'm not huge on answering that right away. Like, I, I mean, I don't want to hold anything back that might help them, but a lot of the time, I'll turn the question back on them and try and find out what they think first or ask a leading uh, question, a few leading questions to get more information and make sure they've got their stuff on their table before jumping in. So that's one thing. And, another, you know, I had a therapist that wouldn't let me get angry at my mum. It was dreadful, terrible, because I came out of the session more confused than... I left and then I had to process the session for weeks. So I've learned from mistakes like that. Like, I, you know, um, I would let someone get angry and find out more about it, what it's like. You know, we all want to forgive because holding on to a grudge is, is burdensome, but it's a process. And how does that process take place? And it, in my experience, it doesn't come 
from blocking the flow of emotion. So those are some things to watch out for. I'm sure there's a bunch of more red flags, um, but uh, I I might be a suitable candidate for you. You never know from from listening to the show if, if if you resonate with what you've heard so far. Yeah, reach out if uh, if anyone out there is is listening and thinking about therapy. I, I certainly urge you to reach out to Anthony. Anthony, we're we're sort of entrenched in this freedom space. Folks in the freedom space love to talk about authority. And in that therapy session, who has the authority, the client or the therapist? And yeah, and this is exactly what we're speaking about. I want to empower the client. Like I see the client as the authority on themselves. And I'm like there to help them discover their wisdom. Uh, To to have... you know, I don't like to push back when clients are not, like if I make a suggestion, which, you know, again, I prefer not to do too often, but sometimes, you know, if they're like, no, nah, I don't want to do that because X, Y, and Z, I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, it's their life. It's their life. I want to help them feel competent to take responsibility for their life. So for me, like I'm the authority on what I know. I've got certain skills that I'm authoritative using. But for me, the client is the authority on themselves and the authority on their lives. And um, I want to empower them to feel like they're the authority in their life. And in the ancient history of psychotherapy, um, the, 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 the therapist was the authority. And as and, and the therapist treated patients, diagnosed and treated patients. But as the humanistic movement, and I think it was a wonderful time, you know, in the 50s, 60s, when all these ideas were coming out and people were very optimistic about the future. And they thought we could we could remake humanity so wonderfully with knowledge of the social sciences, the way things were going. Um, and they, they, they were unlocking the secrets of the mind when they found Oh, you can make the client the authority. You can, you can, you can make children the authority. You can, you can um, have bosses that cooperate rather than put authority on workers. But sadly, in many ways, despite these ideas beginning in the sixties, and then when I got on YouTube, two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, I was obsessive for these ideas, you know, and the way that they could be applied to child rearing, to schools, healthcare. The workplace. I thought I was just in the, you know, in the, in the beginning. I thought everyone was going to get it eventually. It seems like we've backslid, but I think we can bring it back. I think I want to bring back Be Yourself and Love It podcast and um, talk about this sort of thing, like uh, the the quality of attention required to transform people and institutions to help them be authoritative and take a thought uh yeah yeah and and authoritative in making transformation because evil has no problem being authoritative it's when you want to do something good you start questioning your own motives people start saying are you getting paid by a supplement company you know never mind that pharma reps are getting six-figure salaries uh and and uh uh, several thousand dollars expenses account to schmooze people and bribe them to to prescribe poisons it's you 
who's trying to do some good. I'm sure at one point, Ben Hardy, you got sent some free products from some naturopath, <laughs> and that's why you've got them on your show. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually yeah, that that last point is an interesting one. Mike and I were just talking about this before you came on. Uh, that you we see folks in this space who are genuine, like yourself and others who we've had on this show, who are genuinely trying to do good and help people, and they take criticism because they also charge for their services or yeah, for their well. product. And uh, and I and and we're trying. I think we were both just trying to figure out what that is. And I think there's mm-hmm. part of it might just be envy or jealousy that you mm-hmm. see someone who is doing good and also being successful and trying to earn a living and, and uh-huh. make some money off of that. And maybe there's, there, you know, it's just manifesting in, in criticism yeah. or a, a trolling comment, but uh, it is something that uh, these, the folks, this movement, this, the, the people on the side of good need to do is understand that we all have to eat. We all have to keep the lights mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. and it's okay to make a buck mm-hmm. trying to mm-hmm. also help people. That's that okay. It would be great um, if more people could make a buck trying to help people because then there would be more people helping people. I've been thinking about this a lot over the last couple of months, you know, and sometimes when, in the face of the, when you see how much money there is for evil, you know, and it can be drained out, you could get huge handouts from the state, you can get um, bribes from corporations. Just think about like, I was just reading yesterday because you know, I write about pharma and stuff about malpractice suits and how less than 50% of the money actually goes to the victim of malpractice. So there's all these hangers on making money, you know, making huge, huge sums of money and making everyone else less wealthy. Uh, And as soon as you try and do any good, I mean, who's going to do the study on whether you should take binders while you're water fasting? Like, you know, who who detoxes more? Should you take chlorella at night uh, in high doses or will that break the fast? Will that be better in terms of detox or worse? Who's going to fund the study? But, you know, the it, it's, 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 a, it's a difficult world. So in a way, that's what I mean by the clients, the authority and being empowered to take responsibility for your life. That means... I know what my intentions are because I talked about it in therapy. I know that I've taken into account my sister's feelings and things like that. So when I'm moving away, I'm not doing it to hurt her. You know, if she's hurt, then I'm sorry about that. And I'm willing to have that conversation. And if she's not, then I can't really do anything about that. I've taken responsibility for what's in my hands, right? Then you have authority. Then you can live. Then you can do good. Because you're not cynically going, oh, well, you're just doing that because blah, blah, blah. You know, I could probably have, I could probably have been a good farmer rep. I love having dinner with people <laughs> and schmoozing and talking. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, I don't believe in the product. But if someone has a product that is as lucrative as pharmaceuticals and needs a rep, um, come, come call me. Maybe we can do some trainings for your staff as well. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, I mean, to state the obvious, just knowing that there's a therapist, I almost feel like the word therapist is maybe too limited of a word for what you offer. I, don't, I haven't thought of what a better word will be. I'll, I'll think on that. But just the fact that you're a terrain steeped 
therapist to use the word fills me just knowing that you're out there fills me with so much joy just the fact that you think about chlorella and fasting and that that what's top of mind for you my one experience going to therapy when i was having sort of a rough time in my relationship back in my 20s it was a very long time ago but it was like three sessions. Then he wanted to put me on drugs. Period. That's all oh, I remember. That's terrible. Oh, that's, that's so, and so dreadful. And, that's so and bad. just knowing that you—that's not even part of your lexicon. Yeah. That's not going to happen. Makes me have a little bit of hope for the the field at large. Yeah, and I'd love to serve this community. I mean, I guess that's my intention going forward with the final right. book coming out. Like, I want to to serve our community. I want to help bring empowerment to the freedom movement and to the terrain movement that's that's what I'm, that's that's what i'd like to be doing going forward and if i can do more trainings than just therapy you know do start doing little courses on communication and relationships and things like that i'd really like it but it's shocking when you think these people who are prescribing drugs they're they, um in america they're getting a copay you know you're which is often equal to what people just charge for for counselling in the U- in other countries in the UK. So they're they're making huge 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 sums of money to basically enrich pharmaceutical companies and make people sicker over the long term. It's it's really quite sad. So I I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, yeah, and it, it's an exciting prospect when you put it like that. Um. Of, of me being, and I agree with you. I don't really like these terms: therapist, counselor, coach, psychotherapist. Right. I use them because you know you said you know if a hat fits, wear it, or um, yeah. you, we we need to call it something. If I could uh, invent another word, uh, maybe I would. You know, so yeah, well, you can well even just attaching. Ter- ter- oh, we yeah. will. Yeah, yeah. we'll encourage maybe listeners. I'll call myself name, a terrain just- therapist. I just gonna say, let's just stick terrain in front of it. Terrain therapist, I think, might take you, might take you far. We figured it out. We did it. Okay. Yeah. Um, the thing is, it sounds like it sounds like some form of natural path. I remember um, in alphabetic, he says, "I I practice bioterrain medicine." Is that like now? Is it going to be bioterrain therapy, bioterrain psychotherapy? The, the therapy is so vague because what are you therapizing? You know, there's a massage therapist and a crystal therapist and a Reiki therapist, and so um, I, I I like the concept of the world word, which is that something it's something that has a therapeutic therapeutic effect on the psyche. I just don't really like all the baggage that comes yeah. along with that. Anthony, one of the one of the topics that we wanted to hit, and I think this is one that you suggested, is um, the big theory psychologists like Jung is popular again you remember uh, partially because folks like Jordan Peterson and and wanted to know what your thoughts are on this yeah that's really interesting so there's all these like big what I call but I didn't get this from somewhere it's just what I call them like big theory psychologists like Jung Freud before how they've got all of these theories about how the psyche works and like um all of the what is it in Jung? It's like archetypes and like stuff like that. And to me, it's like just trawling through mythology. I'm not going to say that none of this stuff is useful, but the reason why I included it in the supporting material, it comes back to the sort of dichotomy between therapist diagnose, diagnosing, 
and the client being the authority. Like, <clears throat> I feel if as soon as you're looking at someone through a theory, you're not meeting them where they are. Like, that's why I want to be a human to a human in my practice. Like, that's why I talked about all the stuff about listening properly, taking it in. I don't want to be sitting there, like, listening to what they're saying, going, oh, this this ties into this archetype and that ties into the like this um general precept of some you know elaborate big theory and i i don't doubt that jung was a genius and that a lot of these big theory psychologists have insights but then i think maybe it's good maybe it's helpful for people to study themselves to be able to categorize the content of their mind and yet, maybe you can bring it in once you've done all that person-to-person -person connection stuff. But people just need, I was going to say meat and potatoes, but, you know, in the terrain world, like, anything you say about diet is going to get instantly questioned. What I mean is, people just need bread and butter. You can't even say bread and butter, you know, stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, they need to be listened to and they need to under be understood. They need to feel the other person understands them. They need to be asked questions to, to expand their perception. They need to be challenged on any contradictions. They sometimes need advice. They sometimes need to find out where they need more, need to get more information or guidance, etc. They don't need big elaborate theories. They're, they, it's like, it's like if someone's bleeding to death, and you refuse to bandage them because you've got, you know, some elaborate, like, theory of, like, oh, no, but uh, what uh, what's their risk for, what's their BMI and their risk for diabetes and this, uh, their genet what's their genetic code because they may have susceptibility to this. It's like, just bandage the freaking wound, son. It's like, so that's why I sometimes get frustrated. The thing is about the big theories, they provoke a sense of wonder. Oh wow, all of these architects oh it's like a big Aladdin's cave. There's so much to find out there. And we do owe a lot to psychodynamic theory like from Freud, people like Freud. I mean, the idea of denial, the idea of projection, of like uh, um of identification, like you see your you identify with your abuser and then you feel their feelings instead of yours. So there is there is a lot of good stuff. Uh, there's a lot of useful concepts in the big theory psychologists. I just feel like we need to be careful in our application of them so that it doesn't become so that psychology, psychotherapy doesn't become like a um a personality test where you're trying to see what boxes they they tick. And and then oh I know you're this you're a ENFP therefore what we need is this kind of treatment you're a this so so yeah so that's my feeling on those kind of like big elaborate theories. There's also the, the danger of, uh, of of appealing to authority when when you're coming at it from that vantage. Very well, these people so. are legendary, so certainly I should defer to their wisdom of what's come. And then you stop relying on your own your own intuition. And that's what you used to want to be, you know, a great, a great psychotherapist, a great healer. I'm going to go in and 
listen to people and figure them out and get inside their head and see what makes them tick and then I'm going to tell them what makes them tick and they're going to go wow I'm so wow I'm so blown away by your insight doctor and then they're going to be cured but what I've found is with those insights people go wow that's oh wow so true and then they just go back to the same the next day it's better if you can provoke the client to have their own insights and go wow I just figured it out you know that that's much more empowering and, and doesn't require the authority figure to keep on coming in and, and 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 healing them but just to encourage them along their way yeah that's beautiful um Anthony so we're almost at an hour here and I have a question for you uh re-listening to the first time you were on a year ago, you had three non-negotiables, three daily habits that you were doing at the time to tend to your terrain. And I don't know if you remember, but here they are. One was to slow down your breathing regularly through the day. One was to eat some high water content food. And then the last one was to just do some stretching. And I'm curious to know if you've added any new non-negotiables to your daily those are, habits. Those are really good. I was fasting when I was doing those and I was really, really enjoying them. Uh, I, I still eat high water content for every day. It's good to remind myself to get back on the fasting. And I, I also still practice with my breath. I actually got um, what like pranayama, that's uh, like breath work, teacher training in, um, in India. So I'd love to go and upgrade to an even better certificate. Um, one day but yeah i really like doing the doing the, the breath stuff what's non-negotiable today worrying i worry every day without uh <laughs> without negotiation um and i, I want to do less of that so i'm going to apply some of my own medicine that's not something i recommend you make a non-negotiate rather than worry negotiate with yourself you can grab a piece <laughs> of paper this is about organizing the content of your mind and do a little role play where you play as each other version of you that's got a different idea and learn to speak back to yourself. Um, okay, I speak about what's going on for to myself with um, loved ones that I know can hold the space. I've got a lot of different, I've got a lot of friend, different friends and um, you get, get to realize, especially doing this job, that not everyone needs to be able to do everything. There's some people that when you come to them, they will just give you advice or tell you to look on the bright side. And that's fine. They're maybe not the people to talk to that kind of stuff about. But I do have people in my life that can receive me. So um, I'm glad to share with them. Uh, I enjoy... Ha so how, where are we? Where where are we with the, with the number of non-negotiables? No, ne no, no, it seems like going to a sunny place in the wintertime is a non-negotiable for you. Oh well, it looks like it looks like going to a, win a sunny place in the wintertime is a non-negotiable about me because I'm definitely affected by seasonal affective disorder, sad as we like to call it. So already feeling a lot better in the sunshine in Florida. So those are um, th those are some good things to think to think about um i guess yeah i love it and anthony once again for the the listener where's the best place for them to learn more about you and your work yeah go check out be yourself and love it.com if you think that counseling might be something that you would benefit from um i've got a website there with a form and, and you can book an appointment and then we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out 
Um, I oh yeah, there, there's a couple of other things coming up that I should really should have talked about. One is I'm going to be at the Greater Reset in Morelia, Mexico, at the end of January. You, I don't know if you might want to speak to Derek Bros from the Conscious Resistance, who who runs that. I'm sure he'd love to be a, a guest in your show. And, and it's a great festival if you if you can get get down to Mexico. It'll be this kind of stuff for three, four days. You meet lots of really interesting switched on people. I did it two years ago, but I wasn't speaking at it. It was really awesome. And um, James Lyons Wheeler, who did one of the major studies that suggests that vaccines in a dose dependent way do more harm than good, um, is planning. Well, I'm planning to do a course for his online college ipac-edu.org in january as well about um the economics of healthcare reform and how we can um fix the incentive structure which means that they they spend so much money on treating chronic illness when actually we could run programs i've shown i, I cover them in my articles that have been shown to reduce the amount of disease for a fraction of what we currently spend treating preventable diseases. So they've got um, a bunch of courses on there. It's uh, ipac-edu.org. I'm sure you'll put a, a link in the show notes. If you join me on that course, he's planning to turn it into a little think tank that's going to create a policy document for RFK, um, who he's con who he's contacts with. So if you want to be part of that conversation, there is an online course there um, that we're planning to be running. And it would be really good to have a few of you in, on that course um, to get, get to know you and, and the stuff that you're interested in and um, put our heads together and learn together about um, reform and around people and have access to people who are really plugged into the health freedom movement um so that's uh that's the economics of of healthcare course um that's coming up uh you can look in the show notes page for that if you want to speak to me personally be yourself and love it.com that's for counseling or psychotherapy and um yeah i'm thinking of starting the be yourself and love it podcast again so that that's also something you can tune into the back episodes of. Anthony Samaroff, Terrain Therapist. Thank you so much for joining us on the Terrain Theory Podcast. Thank you so much for having me back. It was a very thrilling conversation and got me excited about the whole thing, the whole project of healing the world again. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the after party in the pineal room, Dr. Miranda. Dr. Hardy. How you doing? I'm great. I, although I will say, and this is the first time I think since we started this podcast that I can say this, that I, I am going through a an upgrade and I've got, I've seemed to be uh, <laughs> upregulating my drainage pathways, in, which aka I've got a cold. Yeah, aka, aka. You, I don't know the last time I've heard you sound a little stuffy. I know it's been a very long. It's been a couple of years. So, what are you doing for it? I'm not really doing the things I wish I was doing, which is like just resting more and like in downshifting because I've I've 
I'm in a busy stretch. Uh, I've had a four day recording session. I just finished up this morning that was coming on the heels of being on the road for a couple of shows. Uh, I had a whole bunch of hockey games in the last week. So I have not been resting as much as I would have liked or getting the rest that I would have liked, but I'm mostly taking in a lot of fluids, a lot of tea, uh, and some of my usual mineral salts and shilajit and dragon's blood and, and that sort of thing. Um, but not as much rest as I think would be, which, which Dr. Mike would have recommended. Do you have more shows coming up? Not really. There's a Christmas show a week from this Saturday that I'm a part of. And then, um, just the holiday busyness in general, but not, not, no more shows. Thank God. Yeah. It's a stressful time of the year, right? It really is. We, we, I think we forget or underestimate perhaps Mm -hmm. the, uh, the impact that that stress is going to have on all of us. Absolutely. And it does coming out of Thanksgiving and like, and then continuing to be busy. It's like, um, we've made the rule before that we shouldn't take on work in the month of December. And this recording session sort of reminded me of that. It's like December, things are getting cold. The holidays are around the corner. Um, it's, it's not a good time to be super busy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully you get a little bit of rest. It is interesting. Uh, I am noticing and I'm hearing anecdotally that a lot of folks are experiencing mm-hmm. like health challenges right I've now. Seen and that maybe too. this is just the way it is every mm-hmm. winter and we're just so much more hyper aware. Yep. Uh, we're definitely and, under the microscope, but we do. It's always, I mean, how long has it been called flu season? Whatever that means. Right, you know? it's, right. A, it's a season. Yeah. It's a season. We all go through some sort of upgrade or most mm-hmm. people do anyway. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, having said that there's having this different awareness of, uh, thanking my body for whatever's going on and trusting my body and knowing yeah. that it's, it's for the better and not, I think in the past, whenever you don't feel well, you're sort of bitter about it and you can't wait for it to be over. And, course you don't want to just dwell in that space but i know that uh some things in there that that need get out so i'm enjoying that part of it yeah the shift in mindset the awareness part yeah 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 yeah. and okay so despite you not feeling your best uh you still take to the ice (laughs) and perform heroics don't you for your hockey i'm very committed to my hockey teams it's really pretty ridiculous (laughs) and especially after talking uh, with 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 Reed recently, and sort of him making me aware of like the amount of stress, physical exertion can um, can that can come in its wake, I, and I, I'm realizing how much I put my body through <laughs> presently under the the guise of well, it's it's my exercise and it's my gym membership and it keeps me fit and and lean and, and gets good sweat on and that's all true. But it's pretty. It's sort of an extreme sport, and it's pretty hard on the old body. So I wonder how much of that is like the body sort of doing some repair. Hockey is like the ultimate uh, high intensity interval training, like the the ultimate hit training. You are out there, balls to the wall. Yeah. While you're on the ice, there is no. It's like zero to sixty. There's no real like coasting moment, except maybe no. if you're like out there and there's a face off, you get a little breather. But other than that, you are like a hundred percent for the time that you're on the ice and then you're off and you're sitting and then you're back on and you just repeat that for, for three like periods. 90 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It's really quite a, a high intensity sport. So I had a lot of hockey games this week and um, I'm on two different teams, even though I, I don't know if I've said this publicly on the podcast, I had sworn off competitive hockey for, because of my concussion insecurities from five or six years ago. But I got pulled back in and I, I tell myself that I'm in much better shape now and mentally I'm more, 
you know, with it and that I've done the work to get myself prepared. But it is such a very dangerous sport, especially for someone of my years. And yet I proceed and I fucking love it. I really love it. And there was this like, there was a game. I mean, I played a lot of hockey as a youngster, right? Um, like a, from, well, I started when I was four, but like those teenage years and those double digit years, 10, 11, 12, th- right through 18, 20. Um, and I'm sure there were some amazing games that I played. I know that there were, I just can't like remember them. Uh, but this <laughs> couple of days ago, there was what I had, to, I have to imagine is like one of my favorite games of all time where we were down uh, eight to five in with like six minutes left in the third. And we ended up winning nine to eight. And it was just like the euphoria of that, like the team bonding, like making a couple and it's men's league and like no one's strategizing too hard. It's not like there's a coach on the bench, but we're all trying. We're all pulling for each other. You want to win. And uh, I always play defense, but because time was ticking and and uh, and we were down by so much. My buddy Craig, shout out Craig Snyder. Uh, he's like, you, you, you want to jump up forward and see if we can generate some offense? The two of us. So we swapped with a couple guys who were up before the two Eds, Ed and Ed moved back to D and it worked like it just worked. We scored four goals in six minutes. I got two of them, including the, the, the game winner. And it was just absolutely euphoric. And I had a buddy uh, in the crowd, uh, my buddy, Chris Miller, shout out Chris Miller, who was here for the recording session. He came to the game and just to like have a witness, <laughs> you know, was really, it was actually exhilarating and I'm sort of still giddy and high off that experience. It Still was so right damn fun. High. Thank God you did not play hockey because of your little sniffle. I know. You well, and I think out. I also thought like, well, I just got to get out there and sweat it out. And, sure. and you know, I'm, I'm still, it didn't help. It didn't not help, but it, it, I think it, it helped psychologically and spiritually. Yes. De- it definitely helped you psychologically and spiritually. Yeah. You can actually follow my hockey team on Instagram folks. If you're curious, it's, um, it's funny. We have a sponsor, which is Underberg, which is this German after-dinner digestive bitters. Yes. Uh, they they brag. About, have you heard of Underberg? Oh yeah, I had never heard of it before. They have there's like fifty or seventy different herbs in the original recipe, and I've never tasted it. I have no interest in in consuming Underberg, but I definitely get a kick out of being on the team. And they got us some pretty sharp looking uniforms. And there's a whoever's doing the social media is doing a fine job. It's pretty funny. And you don't, so this is awesome because you are sponsored by an alcoholic beverage and you don't drink the alcohol no. afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, nor do I have any interest. Although I got to say, I mean, I, I can see why why brands sponsor men's league hockey teams because here we are talking about Underberg on a on the Train Theory <laughs> podcast. It's, and my kids know what Underberg now is. And it's yeah. like, you know, so Underberg, I think it's a, at Underberg underscore hockey if you want to see some sweaty pic- pictures of me. Um, yeah, I guess w- the door the door's open, right? As a sponsor, podcast sponsor. <laughs> Underberg, if anyone out there is listening from Underberg, I don't know. That would be that might be a little too far for us as the Terrain Theory podcast. Although there's some use to a, a bitter, right? I a guess. Digestive. I mean, they're always the, the guys in the team are always pitching it as. Well, you'll see, you'll see. I whatever. I'm not going to endorse, <laughs> yeah. or, or not endorse. I'm, I'm neutral, neutral um, to the cause. Well, that's amazing, man. I'm glad you had that experience. It's nice that uh, they can persist even into you know our age that you can still have those like glory days out there. It's funny though. I would do the same thing when I was playing men's league soccer. I would always dismiss it if I was recalling 
to someone, I'd be like, yeah, it's just men's league. But you know what? At the time, it's like the most important thing that you're doing out there. And who cares? Who cares if it's in front of, you know, a packed stadium of 10,000 or 20,000 or there's a handful of folks. It's almost better now because there's there's much less ego involved. Like you're really mm, just doing it for yourself and your buddies. The love you're not of the doing game. it for your girlfriend or your parents or the community or to be cool or to be liked at school the next day or to be a yeah. hero. You're just like doing it for the love of the game and like see how good you can be. And last night I had a I'm on two teams uh, and this this team is a higher level team. It's the A division, um, which frankly is is quite fast. And I like playing at that competition, but it, I feel like it might be a little more dangerous. Um, and guys take it a little more seriously, which mm-hmm. makes it more dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, tempers tend to flare. But I was paired up on defense with someone who I had never met before named Brian, who was like an A-level player, like played in college. And it's just such a joy to play with someone that great. Yeah. So that that was really a thrill. To, yeah. To, so so competent, doing everything uh, right, like doing uh, everything you're supposed to do. Oh man, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to watch. <laughs> it's beautiful to watch. It's beautiful to be a part of. It makes you just feel like so supported. And yeah, it's really great. So it's been a well, great hockey week, despite 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 my sniffles. It's been a great week. I love it. Well, speaking of feeling supported, uh, that was fun. It was fun to have Anthony on and really dive into his area of expertise. Absolutely. And it's great to have a repeat guest as well, too, because you get to know somebody and then we're following each other's journeys as well. Yeah. And it uh, he he goes, I think my personal opinion, he goes a long way into redefining a therapist into redefining and maybe even just like restoring what it is that my opinion of what a therapist is and, and does. And I think we, we're already at a point, I think, in society where we've normalized like mental health issues, yeah. normalized and accepted. Like this is just a part of our society. We don't stigmatize it anymore. Uh, and I think maybe in my mind, the therapist had a, a stigma attached to it. Like you, go to, you go to a therapist when you're broken. Right. And that's not the case. That doesn't need to be the case. Um, and that, so that door is open for me. And I think I've described to to you and maybe to the listener, like, and I think it was maybe with when my dad was on and we talked about when Josh died and we had that like group session and Nate and I were there and it was just like, I'm looking around going, you know, there are kids who lost both their parents in a house fire, you know, like, what am I doing here? Uh, and that was it. That was the the beginning and the end of any sort of therapy I've ever done in my entire life. And you know, you accumulate some stuff over the years. It's yeah. The more the more I go on, the more I'm like, yeah, I should. Pro- I could probably benefit from like talking to someone who doesn't already know me yeah. or doesn't have an agenda. And again, not just when tragedy has struck, but just just yeah. as as a, a run of the mill work a day. Let's just have a conversation with. It's again like trying to recontextualize what it is he's offering because that word therapist is so loaded. But just like a conscious listener you know or have have a respectful exchange someone to hold the space so you can sort of like again not fix what's broken but try and build upon what's already there yeah and then ultimately and it just seems like ultimately the 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 goal the goal for all of us is to better know yourself that's the goal know thyself and i think some people can arrive there earlier than others but then again we're always evolving so there's always there's always something new about yourself to discover and it seems to me anyway that the benefit of having someone like anthony who is an intentional listener who's just trying to understand you is that there 
they know when to hold that mirror up perhaps and 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 can and can show you something can just repackage something that you've said in a way that makes you go oh yeah that really is what's going on or that really is who i am or that really is what i want and i think that might be the benefit of just someone someone who can help you along that journey to better know yourself first and foremost with a certain level of detachment too someone who's not your best friend or your spouse or your family yeah. i think there's real value in that yeah yes there is and as as you pointed out uh the added the added value to having someone like anthony is that he's also hip to this terrain thing so not only is he not going to like push you in the direction of a medicine or medication um you know he's also going to be able to talk away you just talk about how you're uh, you know talk about the world see the world the same way you do through this like very important new lens that was a big part of what victoria mentioned right is that she didn't have many people to discuss these new revelations about how the world may or may not actually work this uh, and that was that was a huge part of her her journey is finding someone to just air it out with yeah yeah um, that you can trust and you're not going to be judged for think you're crazy you know someone who is like my i forget the phrase that anthony is uh up leveled or something like that yeah right uh for me i would have to turn to someone like Anthony, because I live on a dirt road and there aren't any lampposts for me to talk to. <laughs> so many trees, though. <laughs> there are plenty. There are plenty of trees. Well, actually, that was the thing I was thinking about when you when you mentioned how, or you observed, or asked really if he observed whether or not uh, people are more people are going or turning to therapy, are more people turning to therapy because of the state of the world? And I was thinking that. We were more attached to nature when we lived in nature. It was like reality was right before us, and I felt like I feel like maybe there there was a more objection, uh, um, objective truth. Like that's a tree, that's a lion, that's a plant. Like it's right there before us. We're we're in this digital space now, where you don't know what truth is. Like we're even even those of us who are quote unquote more plugged in, as as Anthony would say, or who think that we're awake or whatever we want, whatever word we want to use, we could still like we're on our screens and we're subjected to things and videos and content that we don't know is true. So there's a greater detachment from reality itself. And so going to a therapist, part of it is like, I don't even know like where, I don't know where the ground is underneath my feet anymore. So let's just start there. Yeah. And you could see where more, more and more folks would want to turn to therapy because they can't even tell what is true anymore. That is a great observation. I also want to mention, just to tie it back to um, this cold that I'm navigating, is and and in our continuing exploration of our addictions and acknowledging them, this goddamn phone and the screen. Like I, I think I think the wireless and the screen are is. I mean, who it's 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 metabolic chaos, right? As Reed yeah. says, there's a lot of factors to taking into consideration of why and when somebody expresses symptoms. And of course, because we're steeped in this space, I'm thinking about it an awful lot. But this is an addiction I'm having a hard time putting down. I know that when I wake up and I'm all congested and I should just be lying in bed, I shouldn't be looking at my phone. I shouldn't be streaming anything. And yet I find myself doing it. Even when I say, you know what, today I'm going to try and really limit my phone usage and I don't. And it's it's something that I'm high. I'm more highly aware of 
again, in this sort of compromised state of trying to heal. When everything's fine, you sort of roll with the... It, it made me think of the Tom Cowan analogy that I didn't really get till now when someone says like, yeah, Doc, my foot hurts. Well, why is your foot hurt? Well, every day I wake up and my wife stomps on it <laughs> and then it really swells up and it hurts. And, and, you know, at some level, that's a ridiculous example, analogy to make. But what do you say? You know, I'm saying, well, you know, I'm all congested. I don't feel good. Well, how come? Well, every day I wake up, I turn my phone on and it's on for the entire day. That's what he's saying. It's obvious. Stop it's obvious. doing the hurtful thing that you're doing every day that's right in front of you. Wow. Wow. And that thing is, yeah, exactly. And that's doing the physical harm, the every, every, every potential harm possible yeah. that's, that screen is doing to you, isn't it? Yeah. It's potentially. It's, yeah. So, you know, work to be done and more. Not, I don't even want to say like more hardwired stuff. Yes, more hardwired stuff, but also just limiting it, like learning how to step away. I had the occasion to uh, do a little retreat with some buddies of mine at a, a remote off-grid off hut up in northern New Hampshire. Actually, it's technically in Vermont. When was this? Right, right on a river, just this past weekend. Yeah. Do it like, try to do it quarterly with this group of guys. There's no internet up there. I mean, there's no power in the hut. So phones are just shut down the entire time. And we have each other, some guitars, some cooking, an open fire and a river and some walking paths to entertain ourselves. And it's remarkable how, at least for me, I don't know how it is for everyone else or anyone else who's ever in this situation, but it's remarkable how easy it is for me to shut my phone down, put it in my backpack and then never really take it out and not feel a strong urge to take it out. Once that cord is cut, as long as there's something to fill it and, and not even necessarily fill it, like there's times in the rocker just staring at the wood fire, like doing exactly what we talked about doing that downtime, that relaxation time. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm optimistic that it's not going to be as hard. It doesn't need to be as hard as it, as it might seem to put this thing away that actually there's, there is a, there's like a better something on the other side of this screen addiction. And also, to reflect back to you, I mean, what you set up for yourself was you sort of made a plan for these days. I'm going to be with some buddies and we're going to have these instruments and this food and this fire. And this is what we're doing. Yeah. Which probably made it easier as opposed to like not making a plan, just being home with your normal routine and trying to put it away uh, without that plan. Yeah. And so I guess that, yeah. How do we trick ourselves? How do yeah. we trick ourselves into yeah, making strategize. a plan? Yep. I mean, again, just to circle back to hockey after the game last night, one of the things that was so celebratory, apart from the fact that this team won, this team is called the Bears, formerly the Hurley Hackers. Dudes are pretty pissed that they retired. Someone decided to retire that name. It's a much better name. But uh, we've been plagued by low numbers the entire season, like only seven guys showing up, eight. You really need 10 guys to play hockey properly and compete. Um, but we had 13 last night. Like We had three full lines, four defensemen, goalie. And someone wanted to take a photo of us on the bench and it was this comedy of errors where like, I think my point is when I'm playing hockey, it's, there's certainly no, nothing artificial. There's no screens. There's, there's nothing, there's no AI. It's just like sweat and, and I was gonna say sweat and blood, hopefully not blood, but you know, it's just like tactile. It's like an event. So someone tried to take a picture and the battery was dead. Then we, oh my God, had to sit around until someone found another phone and they took that and all the pictures came out super blurry. And it was just this beautiful celebration of like tech failure because it really doesn't belong on the ice anyway. It's not what that's about. 
No. And yeah. all that really mattered was that the moment was captured in your mind. Exactly. Like we all lived it and felt it and, yeah. and breathed it together. And you said one of the beauties of playing at this level is that there is no, there are no witnesses. You're just out there for yourself. You're not playing for anyone else, but yourself and, and the, the guy next to you. Yeah. And again, especially after a day, I'd been in the studio for you know long days starting at like 10 a.m. And then I leave for hockey at like nine. So like a full day of just like, and what does recording studio become? It's a lot of screens. Like no yeah. one's doing analog records. A lot of anymore. electronics around it's, you. You're staring at a screen all day. You're clicking and staring and clicking and staring. And it's it's creative. It's musical. It's it's beautiful. I love being in the recording studio. It's it's probably the best part of the music industry is creating in the studio. But it's very computer based. It's it's entirely computer based. So just right. to get away from that and step onto the ice has been really welcome in my life. Yeah, I love it. Uh, it's beautiful, Michael. Well, here's to you playing many, many, many more, many more games. I hope so. It's it's like I, we don't like to talk about uh, our our age arc too much, but uh, <laughs> or or at least feel victimized by it. But holy shit, it is a young man's game, and it is really it is really comical that I'm still like well, clearly competing. it isn't, Mister Game Winner. <laughs> clearly it isn't. <laughs> I also think like secretly for how long I've been playing hockey, like for 40 years, maybe not 40, maybe 30 years. I've, I've really wished I could be a forward, but I've always played defense. Like, because it seemed like the more responsible thing to do to be like the last line of defense and occasionally yeah. like pick my moments to make a rush or try and make a play happen. But like to have those six minutes of like, all right, let's try to generate some offense and then like score two goals. I was like, yeah, yeah. You would have broken all the records. <laughs> you would have broken all the records. <laughs> it was fucking great. I it was it. great. I yeah. love it. Well, folks, nothing you heard here should be taken as medical advice as neither Mike nor I are medical experts. Remember that you are light. You are love. Remember also, you can grab Anthony's free ebook, Seven Pharmacy Myths, uh, at sevenpharmacymyths.com. Go do it. You are your primary healthcare provider. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next one. <laughs>